Hey, welcome to uh, The Critical Catholic. I'm Mike Lewis, and I'm here with David Lafferty. Uh, you got to enjoy a rough cut of our uh, of our little theme song, our, our uh, public domain or creative commons music. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so this is our first live uh, broadcast. Um, I'm sure some of you saw our uh, our warm-up show and those of you who are patreon sponsors saw our warm-up to our warm-up show um anyway well welcome david thanks mike I'm, I'm excited to be here this is our first sort of official episode so it should be should be a lot of fun yeah and so i think the the thought behind this was um obviously we're where peter is is expanding we've got more diversity. We've got a lot more people. We've got a lot of uh, interesting guests who want to take part. And one of the early things that we did, though, in terms of audiovisual content, was um, the the Peter's Field Hospital podcast. And a lot of our our most popular episodes um, were these like deep dives into social phenomena and thinking and theories that were going on that are going on in the Catholic world. And obviously with, you know, where Peter is live, we didn't know how that was going to materialize, but there was good chemistry between me and Rachel and Melinda. And then there was that fourth slot and we kept switching people in and out. We were able to have you twice, I think. Um, but it's sort of like, you know, people want to see more of David Lafferty. People want to hear... <laughs> You know, the, the, those of us who have a little bit of a geeky side to us, uh, you know, <laughs> enjoy these these deep probes into, you know, where 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 did these ideas come from? Who are these people? Where? Uh, and so anyway, this is, um, you know, so I invited David because one of the things is doing the audio non live podcast uh, is it can be time consuming to. Um, to edit it and you're tempted to like take out every single um and to make sure and granted you want to make a live stream as as uh as professional and as as well produced as possible i notice i'm a little bit dim i might need to improve the lighting in this room for example <laughs> but um but i mean it we can be more we are forced to be more concise you know we might we would we would record for two or three hours and i might yeah. and we might wind up using two-thirds of that material and you know trying to fit everything into an hour so because there's there's always so much to talk about um i mean i started you know contributing to where peter is back in 2019 um i think this was kind of early 2019 um and i had i just I couldn't take any more of the um, what I what, what I considered to be the the sort of fever that seemed to have gripped a lot of Catholic media, where there was all this misinformation circulating, uh, a lot of conspiracy theories entering uh, the, the church in 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 sometimes very subtle ways and sometimes very not so subtle ways. A lot of them revolving around Pope Francis and. Uh, that 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 inspired me to to contribute and, and and although I don't always contribute those types of pieces, you know the, that's kind of my specialty. I um, I, I have a PhD, uh, so I was a you know a bit of an academic for a while. Um, I studied. Um, uh, an author named Wyndham Lewis uh, very intensely, uh, and he was a, a modernist uh, writer, not a uh, not not a Catholic modernist in the in the like a theological modernist. But, so Pius uh, X didn't condemn him specifically. No, no, he, he wasn't. He wasn't on that that list. Um, no, he was a a colleague of people like Ezra Pound, uh, T. S. Eliot, uh, James Joyce, even a little. Um, so. He was he was part of this this world of literary modernism and the literary modernists they were active in the sort of early twentieth century into the nineteen twenties and thirties and Wyndham Lewis did for a time fall under the grip of what I would call conspiracy theory he never went uh, as far as his friend Ezra Pound who um, completely. 
gave himself over to conspiracy theory, ended up uh, broadcasting um, on the radio during World War II from fascist Italy uh, on behalf of uh, Mussolini and the, and the, the fascists, um, and was eventually uh, almost... Um, well, he was he was arrested after the war. He was he was put on trial as a, a traitor. He could have you know potentially been executed, but uh, he ended up uh, uh, in, a, in a mental institution. So, um, and and again, these people were geniuses. A lot of them, you know. I think Wyndham Lewis was a genius. I think Ezra Pound was a genius. Even T. S. Eliot um, dipped into the the sort of conspiracy theory world a little bit, um, and it shows that, you know, so many people can be susceptible to this kind of thinking. It said that Marshall McLuhan actually early on um, fell into conspiracy theory uh, and then pulled himself out before he um, started writing his, his most famous works, but he had a period where he fell into that too. So it's, it's very common. And, even among very intelligent people. So after I, I, I did that, I, I wrote a paper later on, I switched topics uh, entirely and, and wrote a paper on a British author named Douglas Reed, who was a, he was very famous in, in the um, late 1930s. He was a, he wrote a best-selling book called Insanity Fair, which was, uh, which was actually an anti-Nazi book. Um, but the, the odd thing about Douglas Reed was that he was also very deeply uh, anti-Semitic. And so he came up with this grand conspiracy theory in which the uh, Nazis and Hitler in particular were sort of puppets of uh, the Jews who were controlling the world. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's a really utterly Jack Chick like, like how Jack it, Chick it, it says the Catholic church started Islam and the Nazis <laughs> and, uh, and the Freemasons, right? Yes. Yes. So that's, that's the thing. Like it's, and, and, you know, these are smart people. Like, uh, you know, Douglas Reed was a really talented guy. He was a journalist, you know, he wrote, you know, books that, that a lot of people were really gripped by, but then he just descended further and further into this conspiracy type thinking, um, and never got out of it um and uh so I, I could see that you know in in catholic media that 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 sort of and and the sort of the catholic social media world starting to creep in and i thought you know now we've got to take some action here and um at least try to separate some of the you know um the the junk from the stuff that may have a grain of truth and and, and try to you know sort through all of this. Um, and again, you know, some people would say it's it's not a good idea to pay attention to these guys. I understand that argument, but I actually, I, I don't believe in it anymore because we've seen what happens when you, um, you know, when you don't pay attention, these things fester and they can explode. Um, so, I mean, we saw that, you know, in the United States on, on January 6th, where, you know, a lot of the people who were storming the Capitol were doing so on behalf of ideas that were, you know, frankly, just pure lies. Um, so we, we've seen how this can have real world consequences. And I think um, one of the things that, I mean, we've talked about this before, it's, I think the the brave new world of the internet has really globalize some of these conspiracy theories. We talk about, I, I, we've had this conversation before that Taylor Marshall's book, Infiltration, is a rehash of all of these conspiracy theories that were, you know, th that were big in like Malachi Martin novels in the 1970s or, um, you know, Lefebvre's instead of Acantus all bought into these different conspiracy theories, even, even pulling some anti-Catholic uh, Protestant fundamentalist conspiracy theories and slapping them together. Um, but the thing is, they are reaching, and, and I grew up with some of these conspiracy theories, so and I got grew out of them. You know, I, I started to think more critically. I started to do more research, realize that these things were not backed up by historical documentation, by, uh, you know, there just weren't facts behind a lot of these things, and there were a lot of contradictions. Um, but what's happened is these tiny little, what used to be these tiny little fringe conspiracy theories, because Catholic traditionalists in the olden days had to be part of a traditionalist community, which usually were fairly small, or, or they were on a mailing list, and there, there wasn't a, a single person in, with their mindset uh, that they could talk to in person. Um, other than their family, if they, you know, if they had one, they could rant at them at Thanksgiving or something. But it's um, the problem is, it's like I didn't 
what I'm starting to realize is that people as a whole are much more susceptible to these theories than I gave them credit to than I gave them credit for before. Like I used to take these deep dives and just be for my own amusement. Like how can anybody believe this stuff or whatever? And, but then I start to see really smart people and really accomplished people. Um, great theologians, great, uh, great writers, cardinals, archbishops, and sharing these thoughts unironically. Um, yeah. And, and, and one of the, one of the issues I think is that, you know, we, we, we try to, you know, present the church to others in the, in a positive way. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, of course. But at the same time, we have to take a critical look at church history, the, the cult, the Catholic culture and how Catholic culture has at times been very susceptible to conspiracy theories. So like you said, in the 1970s and, uh, and, and after you get the, the traditionalist um, conspiracy theories, before that, before that in, in late 19th century and um, leading up to eventually World War II, um, there was the, a huge explosion of anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, like starting in France, uh, especially. So you have someone like um, Edouard Drummond, who was um, in in the late 19th century, he became, uh, he wrote a book called uh, Jewish France and uh, he was Catholic and uh, a lot of the people who um, listened to him were Catholic. Uh, He published this book that became this massive bestseller, became like the, you know, the talk of, of, you know, France for for a long time um, and and spawned um, so much, anti-Semitic hatred. Um, and then you find that transferring to other countries, you find it entering into like, say groups like the Action Francaise, the uh, sort of um, pseudo fascist uh, Catholic organization that eventually had to be um, sort of condemned by the Vatican. Um, and uh, you, you see it, it was actually in Canada, you, you saw a lot of this stuff coming into Quebec in the early 20th century and um, uh, building up. Uh, there was a very um, anti-Semitic segment of, of Catholics uh, in Quebec uh, at that time. And of course, it all, you know, this this contributed to the, the horror that eventually was, you know, World War Two. And we can't and, and the Holocaust, we can't, you know, hide that stuff because when we do it has this way of creeping back, right? So, yeah. well, we, we can, we can talk about all the good, the very many, many good things that Catholics have done and the, and the great, you know, things that the, uh, the church has been involved in. I think we have to look at the ugly side too, or else there's a, a chance that um, it'll just keep returning over and over again. So that's, that's very important, I think. So before we turn to our main topics, I know you brought a, a little prayer uh, to, to oh, sort of yes. kick off the discussion, and we have a few topics that we want to discuss, and hopefully we'll be out of here by the time the hour's up. We're going to try to keep it keep it quick and, and go through things in a very orderly fashion. So yes. I have a, just a very simple prayer for us here. Um, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Heavenly Father, please guide us in our discussion. Help us to dispel confusion, discern fact from fiction, and cleave to the truth in a world that is filled with so many misrepresentations. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father. Okay. All right. So um, I guess the first uh, topic that you wanted to cover was the uh, the most recent uh, Vigano letter, the or the declaration, I guess, the the V-drop on the fifth international Vatican conference. Why don't yeah, you tell thought, us a little bit about that? <laughs> sure. So I thought that was, um, that was worth uh, bringing up because, you know, Vigano is, is still with us and he's still um, regularly doing his, his V-drops. Um, now he doesn't really have much of an audience in the mainstream church anymore, although maybe, more um, of an audience than than we realize because um, there may be people listening to him and um, you know reading what he says who, who won't admit it um, but he definitely has found an audience among a certain uh, group of Catholics um, and and among people um, uh, who are very devoted to the, the sort of make America great again uh, cause and mentality, um, even, even after the, uh, January 6th fiasco. So, um, he published on, um, 
let me see what I think it was uh, April 20th um, published a, a, a declaration um, and it was regarding the the fifth international uh, Vatican conference so this conference which is it's scheduled for May six uh, to eight it's called uh, unite to prevent and unite to cure exploring the mind body and soul and uh, just to, just to provide a bit of context so the goal of the conference you know according to their their website anyway is to unite people and promote a culture of collaboration by stimulating an open dialogue and encouraging an interdisciplinary approach to tackle major healthcare challenges around the globe uh, they say that this is consistent with the mission of the Cura Foundation and the Pontifical Council for Culture to enrich the human experience by bringing together people of diverse backgrounds and religions and advocating for the vulnerable. So this is just, this is a big conference. They cover a lot of different topics relating to health, you know, everything from, you know, the availability of medicines to um, mental health to things like uh uh, neurological health and, and um, all, you know, th these are some of the big health issues that on a global scale um, are really affecting people. And the, the speakers, they include this wide variety of doctors and, and professors and people involved in, in the business and nonprofit world. It's not a, uh, it's definitely not a, a sort of homogeneously Catholic bunch. I think the intention here is to establish um, sort of partnerships or dialogue or initiatives across um, with with all types of people, all types of organizations that have similar, similar goals. Um, but it also includes some celebrities. So like Chelsea Clinton, uh, she's become something of a health ambassador, I believe these days. Uh, Deepak Chopra, the sort of new age guy, uh, Cindy Crawford, Jane Goodall, and then Joe Perry of Aerosmith. And yeah, and from and and one of the things that I, I just want to kind of point out, because I think this is where this is where a lack of context and a lot of lack of um, historical knowledge kicks in uh, for yeah. a lot for many critics of, of, of this meeting and, and of other things that have been hosted under Pope, Pope Francis, is that if you look at the Pontifical Academy of Science, for example, that's been around since 1930 was established by Pius XI, I believe. Um, it's a body that meets every every year, twice a year, a couple, you know, it, it's changed its schedule. And a lot of times it was more of an honorary group, but it has always included non-Catholic experts in their scientific field. Um, the late Stephen Hawking was um, famously a member of it. You go back, uh, Niels Bohr, you know, was an atheist who was a scientist who was who sat on it, and mm -hmm. the the va I don't know if it I don't know if you could say it was a majority of the people on the Pontifical Academy of Sciences were non-Catholic. I, I think probably being a Catholic scientist that was prominent got you a quicker invite, but yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't necessarily um, ever a matter of uh, you know we just want our little ideological niche here. It's the Pope is not a scientific authority. We, we yep. scientists are scientific authorities and the Pope, you know, so science teaches us the, the what, like, or the how, and then the church provides uh, the, the greater meaning behind it. So if, yeah, the conference, of, yeah. A conference so like this is not, is not about establishing um, you know, or outlining doctrine or anything like that. It's so it's it's about looking at sort of tangible solutions to existing problems. You know, through collaboration, through scientific collaboration. And and exactly. And and one of the other things uh, that I want to bring up is that the, if you look at Fratelli Tutti, um, one of the main uh, points that Pope Francis was making and with regards to fraternity is that despite differences that we may have on some issues, where are the areas that we can work together to make a better world? So people yeah. look at Chelsea Clinton's position on abortion or the fact that she responded to a tweet from the church of Satan or something one time. And now she's Vigano thinks she's a member, <laughs> even though she like sarcastically responded to them one time. Yeah. Um, but it, it's like, she is, talking about, uh, you know, children's health, uh, vaccine equity, human rights, 
you know, when she's when we're in agreement with her on the, these issues, we want her to speak about these issues because she can actually reach other people than than a priest or a bishop can about very vital issues that are, you know, that are facing our world. Yeah. And, and once you've established these kind of connections and you've got this sort of great dialogue going, then you can bring in, you know, ethical issues. Um, now, even in this conference, I noticed that there's sessions that are going to be held on, um, you know, the potential ethical uh, implications of using CRISPR technology. This is a, like a gene editing technology. Oh. Um, and so they're going to look at some of those things like, you know, how, you know, how could this um, be ethically problematic? So it's, it's sort of like, you know, in a, in a very subtle way, it's bringing people who might not otherwise think about you know, ethics from a Catholic perspective into that sort of conversation. Um, so I think it's potentially, you know, something very productive. Um, and I mean, you know, having people like Chelsea Clinton or, or Joe Perry, that it also helps to just generate some attention, right? Um, yeah. Although I think Joe Perry, he's going to talk about uh, uh, music and mental health or something along those lines or music and healing. So um, he's there for a reason. It's not just, you know, um, like he, he, I think these people all have genuine, genuine interest in uh, global health. Um, now, of course, you know, uh, and, and, and one of the things that, that probably would have triggered uh, Vigano is that uh, Anthony Fauci is going to be there as well. So the, the director of the, I guess it's the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Yeah, I, I was never quite sure what his actual position was. I just always hear about him. But um, yeah, he's become in that world that the Vigano inhabits, he's become such a notorious figure. And that's the thing. I think um, if you read the... The letter he just um, Vigano. It, it's clear that he's he's looking at these people not as people, but they're more like symbols, right? Like they're more like symbols of all the things that he despises, all the things that he thinks are out to destroy the church. So he describes Chelsea Clinton as just quite simply a, a follower of the Church of Satan, um, and like you said, uh, this this comes from a. Uh, a tweet from 2018 where I think she had been included on a, um, uh, a, a thread with the Hooters, the bar Hooters. And, uh, and she was kind of embarrassed about that. And she said, isn't it crazy how, you know, we can end up um, being, you know, put on these threads with all these people we wouldn't otherwise associate with. So she said, once I, was, I got caught on a thread with the Church of Satan. And then, of course, the Church of Satan people pop up and say, hey, Chelsea Clinton, nice to see you. And she says, hey, nice to see you, too. And, uh, and, and now that means that she is a follower of the church of Satan, that she loves the church of Satan. That she, well, I mean, and, and the church of <laughs> Satan has like a search query because there's probably the guy who, who runs it sits there and like watches Twitter to see if anybody mentions the church of Satan. So he can reply well, they, they, pop, they popped up on one of my threads once in one of the, 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 the I think it was the previous uh, Vigano letter. I was talking about how he said that the church of Satan is sort of about to launch this, you know, global, um, initiative to kind of, you know, take over, I don't know, I, I forget exactly what it was, but it was some kind of, you know, just insane um, theory about the power of the Church of Satan. Um, and the, right when I wrote that, about um, two minutes later, the Church of Satan itself pops up under in my thread saying, you know, that's ridiculous. But um, yeah, so there, yeah, and, and anyone who has ever looked into the Church of Satan knows that they're kind of like this geeky organization that likes to you know sort of, of atheists for trigger sure. people yeah they're, they're atheists they don't believe in satan they don't believe uh, in god they don't believe in satan they don't so they don't worship satan they just think say, satan is a symbol for rationalism and self-interest and hedonism and that's what they and uh, making religious people upset really yeah is, and, is, and 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 staging you know stupid things to yeah <laughs> to kind of push the boundaries of what's allowed, you know, in terms of religious freedom. So um, yeah, that's why they're there. But so, you know, Vigano just takes that for granted, which is unbelievable. He talks about how all these people are, you know, the, it's a slew of abortionists and, and Malthusians and globalists. Um, 
he says, and he, of course he makes, is, as usual, incredibly bold claims about the Vatican. He says, uh, or about the church, he says, the Holy See has deliberately renounced the supernatural mission of the church, making itself the servant of the new world order and Masonic globalism in an antichristic or antichristic counter magisterium. Um, so, I mean, these are ridiculous I like the words. one wonders if Bergoglio's he doesn't call him Francis if Bergoglio's zeal for the dissemination of the gene serum is not also <laughs> motivated by base economic reasons um you know <laughs> for the, as compensation for the losses suffered by the Vatican and the diocese following the lockdown now here he's saying you know a year ago he's saying that the Vatican was behind the lockdown and now they're holding this satanic meeting in order to uh, uh in order to because they've they've lost out during the lockdown i mean it's it's inconsistent it's irrational yeah none of none of it makes sense and and i think that you know it's because and, and we we talked about this a little before and i'm sure we'll talk about it again but um when you enter into this world um especially the world that i think Vigano is inhabiting where he's kind of, you know, shut off from everybody. I think he, it seems that he's kind of seeing the world through the internet, through, um, you know, these particular probably far right and, um, like traditionalist Catholic type sites that he, he visits. Um, he's seeing the world symbolically. It has nothing to do with true or false or facts or anything like that. It's, it's the symbolic reality that he's entered into. Um, and it doesn't have to make sense in terms of, you know, it doesn't have to be logical for it to work for him. Um, so one one thing that I find, though, that, that's disturbing to me about um, Vigano's rhetoric is, and, and, and now I, I got to say that he's never said anything explicitly, explicitly anti-Semitic. But if you look at the history of this kind of rhetoric, the, the you know, the, the most prominent examples you would find would be that exactly that Catholic French anti-Semitism that we saw in the late 19th century um, entering into the, all the way up to World War II. And then it was continued afterwards by um, uh, people like Father Dennis Fahey uh, from Ireland. Um, and this, it's, this idea of, you know, uh, Vigano is always referring to a Masonic conspiracy. He talks about a Masonic elite. Um, he talks about, you know, this, the, the infamous Masonic sect and all this kind of stuff. So it's the, the idea that, that the Freemasons are really the, the ultimate string pullers here. But the problem is in, within this strain of Catholic thinking, um, <sighs> Uh, Masons and Jews are often used interchangeably. So there's what's called the, like the Judeo-Masonic conspiracy theory. And that's the idea that, um, you know, the Jews created Freemasonry, um, used it uh, in, to bring about the French Revolution, and then have been basically behind Freemasonry, you know, throughout. Um, and it's, it's something that I think it allowed people to take some of the Pope's statements, like Pope, um, Pope Leo XIII, you know, wrote a, an encyclical against Freemasonry, which is very, you know, very harsh and, and, and uh, but he, it doesn't touch on, it doesn't say anything about Jewish, uh, Jewish people, but the Judeo-Masonic idea allowed people to take um, statements by the church on Freemasonry and then sort of, turn it into or make it part of this anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. So that's the problem is, I mean, this, this rhetoric is so close. It's such an echo of the kind of stuff you would have heard in the, um, yeah, late 19th century, early 20th century in, in, in France around that time, uh, right down to the, you know, the quotation from the, uh, uh, our lady, uh, La Salette about Rome losing the faith and becoming the seat of the antichrist. And, um, that's that's from a uh, uh, a sort of false version or a false um, version of, of that um, an embittered prophecy. version an of embittered version which which some people have said is, is ha has like sort of anti-Semitic elements to it and um, and it would make sense if it was so 
but before you know other, elsewhere Vigano has talked about in the context of these masonic elites he's talked about you know user uh, bankers being part of this and all this kind of stuff and it's just it it feeds into this idea where you're kind of blurring the line not there's not that much um like serious Freemasonic conspiracy theory these days, like it's it, that's not a big thing. But anti-Semitic conspiracy theory has always been around. It's always there. It's the most, you know, um, most destructive and um, sort of most popular conspiracy theory in the end. And um, I, I worry because sometimes this this endless talk of Freemasonry um, can be a sort of cover for anti-Semitism. But again, I you know, Vigano hasn't said anything that would explicitly you know, target Jewish people. But at the same time, I, I, I fear that this is the kind of uh, rhetoric that he's toying with. Yeah, I, I know. Um, well, Vigano, Burke, and um, Taylor Marshall, uh, a lot of these guys are bringing up the Freemasons, which is really, I, I mean, the funny thing is, I, and I mean, maybe I'm ignorant to some degree, but, I, but based on a lot of what I've heard, their membership has fallen. Um, I mean, you know, I, 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 I drove by a, a Masonic um, lodge a couple of months ago, and there, there were, or it might have been a year ago, it might have been before the pandemic, but there were a couple of guys in kilts standing outside the, you know, like eighty-year-old guys wearing kilts, standing outside the building, and and I'm not, not to downplay the theological problems. Um, mm -hmm. the Freemasons are, they're different kinds. I mean, we're. Uh, there's the continental Freemasons, I guess, which started out of the Grand Orient Lodge in 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 France. Yeah, I studied this stuff a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And they are um, atheistic, I believe, and extremely anti-clerical. Whereas mm -hmm. the English version, um, which is more of what we have here, or was transferred over to the U.S., is a little bit. They, you have to believe in God, but their interpretation of God or their understanding of God is not compatible with um, with the church's view mm -hmm. of God. But, and I, I mean, I guess there are people that are members, but it's really not. I mean, I don't, I, I don't even know what it's, what it's like if they're just making it up they're not providing any evidence i mean that's that's one thing i think that we can say about vegano is shortly after he um and i, I think steve skojak actually mentioned this on a recent um article he wrote on on one peter five there there was i, I know henry sire the um the dictator Pope author, the, who, who wrote that book anonymously, but then came out of, you know, came out of hiding, uh, wrote a tweet saying that Vigano was sitting on a death switch or a kill, a kill switch. Basically he had a pile of documents that proved everything he said was true. And I think, um, Christine Niles quote tweeted it and added more information that, you know, if, if he truly is in danger and if, and if anything happens to him, this is going to come out. Well, it, first of all, that doesn't make any sense because if he actually had evidence, uh, maybe he should have included that with his testimony rather than just word of mouth. Mm -hmm. But secondly, after his being trashed by the um, by the McCarrick report, if he can prove that he's telling the truth, then why wouldn't he do that? Um, I mean. And, and the thing that's astounding to me is that people are still defending him. I mean, you're saying nobody, nobody's serious, but it's like he's being, he's published in the remnant. He's uh, Taylor that's Marshall true, yeah. just defended him the other day. And I don't know how popular Taylor, I don't know if the Taylor Marshall uh, popularity uh, thing is still going on, but you know, Patrick, coffin uh to bring up another name um has has promoted his work um well actually this um this particular piece um is is i, I i'm not sure if it was written for um this conference in particular but it, it was published on on patrick coffin's site because um, Vigano was supposed to speak, or I don't know if he did speak or he was supposed to speak this weekend uh, at a, at a uh, sort of a conference on COVID-19 and things like that. Um, so Patrick Coffin has been, has been pushing this. Um, Patrick Coffin has also, um, you know, he's, he has uh, given a platform, I guess, to, to E. Michael Jones, who is a, a 
genuinely, I believe, um, an anti-Semite. He's uh, he explicitly um, targets uh, Jews in his writing. Um, why don't we why don't we roll back because we actually jumped ahead to the next topic. Why don't you why don't sure, you give us a little sure, bit sure. of the rundown on, on who Patrick Coffin is and, and why and what's going what's the what's the latest with, with that story? Sure, sure. So um Patrick Hoffman, um, I think, you know, many people will know him now. Um, he's a, you know, a podcaster, YouTube personality, uh, was formerly on Catholic Answers Live. Um, uh, he, he was supposed to hold uh, an online event called the Truth Over Fear Summit, uh, COVID-19 and the Great Reset from April 30th to May 2nd. Um, but the platform that he was using for, for hosting the summit apparently kicked him off. So uh, he claimed that there were 50,000 attendees when they were shut down um, and they will be holding the, the, the summit next weekend. Um, so they're, they're postponing. Um, and, and Vigano was at least supposed to speak at this this summit um some of the other people who are slated to speak include uh robert f kennedy jr a very you know prominent guy in the sort of um vaccine anti uh, vaccine skeptic or covid skeptic world uh stephen mosher uh this sort of anti-china um propagandist, I would say, uh, Vigano, and then uh, G. Edward Griffin, who's a, I'm not really sure what he's doing here, but he's a conspiracy theorist who wrote a book about the Federal Reserve. Um, and uh, his idea is based on the whole, there's a whole sort of um, subgenre of Federal Reserve conspiracy theory, I guess you could say, um, where, you know, the, the United States is under the control of bankers um, because of uh, the Federal Reserve. And so he wrote uh, a, a, a kind of, you know, a book that has become quite popular in that uh, that world. Um, yeah, I'm going to share a link right now because actually sure. I did mention that. Um, and I don't know if the title of this piece is what led to the title of this podcast for you. But um, basically what I called it was, was Catholic media and critical thinking. Yeah. Uh, which is, it, it's, I mean, one thing that we both of us discussed is that 10 years ago or, or eight or nine years ago, the Francis's first year, the last few years of, of Pope Benedict, I, I used to listen to Catholic Answers Live on my way home every day. You know, it ran from six to eight or something Eastern time. Um, and, you know, it's Patrick Coffin. He was, he was an affable guy. He, he had good banter with his guests, uh, upholding the, the magisterium of the church. And then um, shortly before he disappeared from the Catholic Answers Network and, and went his own way, he started saying some really uh, negative things about about Pope Francis. And it seems to me that that is the, that's almost the gateway drug. <laughs> um, for Who knows where the, where, the, where the floor is? Like once you've decided that Pope Francis is working to destroy the Catholic Church or working against Catholic truth or working against Catholic doctrine, like once you make that decision and once you come out with your public statement, it's like all bets are off. You know, you could be talking about aliens and, you know, yeah. reptilians running the Vatican within three years. Once, once you write that manifesto. Yeah, there was, there was a very fateful um, episode I saw of, I forget whether it was Patrick Coffin's show or Taylor Marshall's show, but it was, you know, Taylor Marshall, Timothy Gordon, Patrick Coffin all on at the same time talking about how they were getting red pilled on Pope yeah. Francis. And uh, that's when I knew, whoa, this has really crossed the line now and uh, we're, we're getting into some really weird territory. And I think um, Patrick Coffin in particular has really been thriving on the opposition he's faced in, in that respect because he seems to really revel in um, people getting mad at him for what he says and he takes that as a sign that he's doing something right so he thinks that you know he's just fighting political correctness and stuff i don't think he realizes just how far he's gone and how, how deep he's gone into this but he probably does i mean i'm sure he he understands because his um once he got into the uh covid19 conspiracy theory stuff um and 
that's when he started getting shut down. So he eventually yeah. lost his YouTube account. And it's the same thing with LifeSite News. Um, they, they get shut it's down. Not, it's not even over Catholic doctrine. No, it's you know, not. It's not it's, even it's, standing up for the truth. It's, it's, it's I want to promote this conspiracy theory that even though I am just some guy with a master's degree in theology or something, I'm going to give, I'm going to proclaim what I believe to be the truth about a public health crisis um, over and above every, you know, 99% of the trained doctors and scientists out there. And I'm going to risk losing my entire platform over it. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, how, I mean, how critical is that thinking there? <laughs> and it, it's, it's really at, the, at this point, it's not a, a free speech issue because I mean, the, the, the platforms that are, that are hosting, you know, these people are the, that, that that have kicked them off now um these are these are businesses they they do not want to be held liable for what might happen if people use their platform as a means of spreading misinformation on a huge scale it could lead to um you know large-scale death potentially we're in the middle of still in the middle of a global pandemic and um so th they don't want to take that risk and so they're going to say forget it we're not going to we're not going to let you do that especially after you know after january 6 we saw a lot of this people were like no that's it we're not we're not going to host um people talking about election fraud stuff we're not going to host anyone talking about covid 19 conspiracy stuff so if you if you if you want to go that way you're going to have to you're going to have to end up on these other kind of alternative platforms like uh, gab and um uh, there's a whole bunch of kind of alternative Parlay, YouTubes and stuff. Is that still around par, 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 yeah well it, it was off for a while i think it might be back and i mean these places they're awful because they're just like real cesspools where you end up just like i mean i tried to get and, on and there one time just yeah. to like find stuff you know, just like to look around and it wasn't very searchable. And then no. the only person at the time, I mean, this was like three months ago, but, or maybe even it, it was sometime after the election, but the only person who seemed to use it on a daily basis was Dinesh D'Souza. He would, you know, yeah, he, he post about three times a day, but everyone no, like I, you know, I looked up like father Z and Taylor Marshall and all these people, Patrick Hall, who said they were going to switch and they, parlor and it was like the last their last post had been two weeks before i mean it's yeah. a it's a substandard platform very yeah i mean when i would when i would go on it would basically be milo posting constantly and uh that, that was the, the main sort of feature because he, he was blocked from all the other <laughs> social well, media I thought he was only on there yeah. for a day or something like that and got kicked oh, off he, he did get kicked off at one point um and then uh, it's it's very funny with with, with parlor and these type of things they go off and on and you know people get sometimes do get kicked off and then they get let back on and so it, it's they're, they're very chaotic very chaotic um so but anyway the you know i i don't i don't have a whole lot of sympathy i mean i do believe in in freedom of speech i do believe that people should be able to say unpopular things but we've reached a point where you know people have been weaponizing misinformation in a way that is profoundly dangerous and no private company is going to want to take that risk of being held responsible for that. We saw, you know, after, um, the, uh, like the Christchurch shootings, um, in, uh, it was New Zealand. Um, you know, people were looking at where are the forums that these people were, are like, people like these shooters are being radicalized on. And so these forums started losing hosts because of course, like, you know, a, a business is not going to want to host some free speech forum that, inspires people to go on shooting sprees that's uh that's where you cross the line it's not freedom of speech anymore so i i don't i don't have too much uh too much sympathy in this in this respect but i do have i guess a question i mean i don't know that it ever that it that it really does play out in any in any extremely different scenario but what do you think would have happened if let's say youtube and facebook had been 30 to 40% more tolerant or had waited that much longer before shutting these, some of these accounts down. Uh, I, I actually, you know, in retrospect, I do think it could have um, stopped a lot of what was going on. I mean, we saw after January 6th, when um, Trump uh, was taken, his uh, Twitter account was taken off. Um, so he no longer had a means of just kind of instantly, you know, 
popping out whatever was on his mind or retweeting all these people who um uh some of these you know conspiracy theorists i mean by the by the end he was retweeting people like ron watkins uh you know one of the guys who was likely yeah. behind q um he was you know retweeting all no, these saying, people like, let's say it had been allowed to fester for for oh you're saying more. yeah if it oh if it had been allowed to fester even further yeah i don't know i re- i think it would have only gotten worse um i think uh i mean do you think uh, we're, do you think it would have been like real like obviously the capital insurrection was one of the most yeah. dramatic things that we've seen in Washington DC but i mean do you think it would have been even more violent or deadly or i mean the the thing is they riled up so many people um i don't know how quickly they were making converts or everyone who's been converted already had like i i don't know i i just i just wonder what would have happened if they had been allowed to continue it, for longer than they did or if patrick coffin it, and lifesite were allowed to stay and father chad ripberger <laughs> were allowed to stay on youtube um well it would have it could have been very destructive especially at a time like right now when we're trying to get the vaccines out to as many people as we can um here in ontario we're still the, the vaccine rollout is very slow so we're having a rough time right now with covid have um, you places- gotten scheduled or what's what's the scenario no I'm, I'm i'm waiting basically to be scheduled so um we'll see what happens but uh yeah we're so we're in under uh, basically a lockdown right now um so we're we're not we're not going anywhere these days um and it'll probably be like that and into the maybe at least you know the beginning of the summer we'll see what happens but to have you know people spreading just on a a massive scale misinformation about the vaccines it's it's dangerous and people um you know when it's one thing when you know people are expressing unpopular ideas in a in a sort of you know protected environment or an environment where you expect to 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 hear some really oddball ideas it's another thing when it's just getting pumped into people's facebook feeds or uh twitter feeds or that sort of thing um and a lot of people just take it as truth and that's the problem especially when it's connected to the faith right like it's connected to you know uh or allegedly sort of connected to true catholicism yeah um, um, so, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're going to see more, we'll see next weekend, um, we'll follow what goes on maybe with, uh, Patrick Coffin's, uh, truth over fear summit. But, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about what, uh, what we can do, what people can do to maybe evaluate these claims. Cause just like you were saying, they see it, they, they'll see these things and, and somehow they accept them uncritically. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I'm even kind of disappointed about about i mean where peter is i think i think our audience is more critical yeah looks at things more critically than you know i think a lot of people discover us because they hear a sensational version of something you know mm-hmm. the the amazon ceremony in in october 2019 and they're like okay these people are claiming that it was demon worship and the mainstream media is ignoring it like what's the other side of the story? And we, and, and we were there to tell that story. And that's happened with the dubia and plenty of other things that have been sensationalized and radicalized. Um, but one thing that, you know, with you running the website, we can look at the back end, like where does our traffic come from? Does it come from Twitter? Does it come from Facebook? Does it come from another website? And you can also see where we send people. So like, let's just say, uh, you know, an article that we post has 1000 viewers and we might have, and it might be like, basically like, we'll have a link in it that'll say, you know, based on this, like, this is the fact, or this is the evidence, you know, and we always try to provide that source. Like what I find is a lot of these people won't provide a link to the thing that they're criticizing. They'll just give you their version of it. We want to make sure we want you to be able as much as possible to if, if it's on the internet we want you to be able to link link to it or look it up really easily to verify your for yourself that that it's correct but i find that sometimes the click throughs like let's say we have a thousand uh a thousand hits on or a thousand views on a story um there might only be 15 or 20 clicks on that major link yeah and if and if only 15 or 20 are doing that for where peter is I wonder how low the number is for 
Bob's YouTube channel or something like that. Oh yeah. I mean, some people just read a headline and that's it. Um, and then hit share, you know? Um, so that's, that's a huge problem. We got to learn how to take that time to just say, all right, here's a claim. Uh, let me at least read the article, see if it sounds like, you know, does it have the ring of truth here? And then maybe just do a little digging off it. It doesn't take, you don't have to go, you know, write a thesis on this stuff. <laughs> Usually yeah. it just takes like a, a few minutes of, um, you know, Googling and, and just checking a few sources maybe uh, to find out, you know, to get a pretty good idea of whether you're dealing with something that's, that's real or, 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 or well, misleading. I mean, you like, you look at life site news and, and they don't provide, they quite often don't provide a link or if they provide a link, it's to something that's foreign language sometimes or, but it'll yeah. be like Cardinal so-and-so says, abortion is the greatest thing ever, or, you know, or is a blessing. And then you have to, but then you have to go hunting on your own. And sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes you have to wait a few days, you know, to keep that story in the back of your mind and like, okay, yeah. oh, here's the official translation or here's the official statement. Um, but that's, uh, their readers, I think, just put their trust in them. I mean, I don't want yeah. our readers to trust us that much. No, not that much. <laughs> I mean, I want them to, to think that we're trying to be honest. I want them to trust us to that degree. But it's like if I write something, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm putting my opinion out there, and maybe yeah. I'm not doing the best analysis. I mean, I'm trying to do things. I'm trying to do it fairly. I'm trying to be honest. But I might have evaluated something differently. I have my own biases. I mean, if if I'm there's certain people I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt, and there's some people I'm going to out right off the bat yeah and uh, you know i i think um one of the the other problems is that a site like or an organization like life site they're able to produce an incredible amount of content they have a lot of people working for them they seem to have a lot of money coming in uh, donations and that sort of thing they've got a big operation so they can produce enough content that for a lot of people this could be your only news source you could just you only have time to follow life site news because they they try to like they cover all sorts of things right like there's they even have like a, a sort of Catholic specific version of their site and then a sort of general sure. version of their site and everything they have, you know, like all the different shows and podcasts and things like that. So you could end up just being completely enwrapped in that world. And that's, you know, even people who really like where Peter is, shouldn't do that. They should, you know, get it, get out there, see what other people are saying. Cause there's so many voices out there. Um, you know, just if you, if, if people are interested in, in learning more about like issues relating to the vaccine, I can recommend uh, father, um, Matthew P. Schneider, uh, who not to be is confused with Bishop Athanasius. Not to, yeah, absolutely not. not, not Athanasius Schneider. Athanasius. <laughs> you couldn't have nephew, two people. Nephew Matthew. <laughs> you couldn't have two people more different, really. Um, so, Father uh, Matthew Schneider uh, has been doing a, a wonderful job on online on on Twitter and uh, in in blog posts, um, debunking a lot of stuff about the vaccine and about what how some people are sort of twisting uh, Catholic um, uh, moral thinking uh, in order to encourage people to reject the vaccine. So um, he's, he's really someone to listen to. Okay. Real quickly, because we're running out of time. Yeah. The last topic that we, that, that we're going to discuss. Um, so we, like I was saying, you talk about how we were talking about how I was talking about how there would be like a, an anti-Francis manifesto where somebody it's like, oh no, this person's gone off the deep end. But there's also yeah. the red pill, the QAnon um, phenomenon that happens to people. And I guess one of the things that was somewhat shocking, but not shocking to me uh, recently was the, uh, I guess the interview that um, the actor who played Jesus, Jim Caviezel, he played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, uh, recently gave during a, a conference um, where he alluded to kind of being a true believer in some of these QAnon uh, rumors. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit or... Sure. This was a this was a health and freedom conference, it was called, and it was held in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, on April 16th uh, to 17th. And, and so this was like a, a real collection of, of some of these, you know, conspiracy uh, titans right now. Uh, so you had uh, General Mike Flynn, 
hero of the QAnon world, uh, Lynn Wood, um, Sidney Powell, and then Mike Lindell of, of MyPillow. Um, and the whole thing, it was uh, scheduled to to end with a, a mask burning ceremony. So, <laughs> this, you know, this is the, the kind of thing we're talking about here. It's um, Now, Caviezel um, was on speaking about a film that he's in called Sound of Freedom. This is about a man named Tim Ballard and his organization, Operation Underground Railroad. Um, and uh, Operation Underground Railroad, uh, their mission is to rescue children that have been sold into sex trafficking around the world. And they they organize these these operations to, to, to get them. And, and um, I, all I'll say about uh, OUP, Operation Underground Railroad, or sorry, OUR, um, is... I encourage people to take a very critical look at them um, and uh, do a little digging and, and uh, see what you find. But that's that's all I'll say about them. On to what Caviezel said. He said that he was talking about what Ballard and and the organization Operation Underground Railroad do, and he and Caviezel said. They're pulling kids out of the darkest recesses of hell right now in dumbs and all kinds of places. The adrenochroming of children. So he uses this term adrenochroming. And he, he's asked by the host at this conference, he says, oh, that's an interesting term. How many people know that term? And and uh, and he says, can you ex- explain a little more about this? And, and Caviezel goes on and he says, if a child knows that he's going to die, his body will secrete this adrenaline and they, they have a lot of terms that they use that he sounds like he's referring to Tim Ballard takes me through, but it's the worst horror I've ever seen. The screaming alone, even if I never, ever, ever saw it, it's beyond and these people that do it. There'll be no mercy for them. So that's, 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 I'm trying to quote him exactly the way that he said it. It was a little stumbling, but um, he talks about this idea of adrenochroming. This comes directly from the Pizzagate slash QAnon conspiracy theory. It's this idea that elites around the world have been kidnapping children um, and torturing them uh, in order to produce this adrenochrome, which they then drain from the children and use as a drug. And it gives them this apparently incredible high um, and keeps them young. So, there's really no other source for this. There's no, like, this is not like, you can't just. No, is it a real chemical or is it a, does it? It is a real chemical. It's been looked into. This chemical does not have any of the effects that uh, people say it does. Apparently the. So it, don't try it at home. There's no. Do not try this. Yeah. It's it, the idea of it comes from, um, there's a movie about Hunter S. Thompson um, starring Johnny Depp. And I think, uh, and in one part of the movie, uh, they talk about, some kind of mythical um, example of, you know, they're talking about all these obscure drugs or something like that. And they talk about adrenochrome. You can, it's, you know, the human body produces it and you can take it and it gets you super high or something like that, but it's a myth. It's uh, you know, it's, this has been explored. Um, people have <laughs> looked into this. It doesn't, it, adrenochrome does not do that. And I don't know what would happen if you took it. Maybe you'd probably just get really sick, but um, yeah, the, there's no other source for this. And um, so the people on the QAnon and anonymous podcast which i really like and, and can recommend they kind of debunk a lot of q stuff um they noticed that he said he's talking about tim ballard pulling kids out of dumbs d-u-m-b's uh and this is a um this is something that comes from you know previous conspiracy theories um and it means um deep underground military bases so the idea is that there's these super deep underground military bases like that you know the global elites have all over the world kind of like these dark sites or whatever right um and this is where they keep um originally in conspiracy theory this idea was associated with aliens so this is where the government elites keep the aliens that they don't want the world to know about right so there's these races of uh, grays or whatever that, that are living underground in these dumps but now it's been modified so that it's these are the places where they're keeping all the children um it's it's terrifying to me that that jim caviezel would be falling into this because i mean either he's just you know he may just be incredibly naive and believes everything he hears um but it's it's very dangerous because you know as i was talking about with Vigano, I don't know if Vigano, um, I, I can't say whether or not he's, he's anti-Semitic, but 
some of the language he uses goes back to classic anti-Semitism. And it's the same with this. Other people have pointed this out. The whole adrenochrome idea goes back to the medieval blood libel, which again is a part of church history that we kind of have to pay attention to, which is the accusation that Jewish people uh, kidnap um, Christian children, especially around Easter, torture them, and then you know crucify them, drink their blood. And many pogroms have occurred because of this um this idea it's it's a it became um it's, it's sort of haunted european history and it's become like it's one of the main themes of anti-semitism that even appeared in, in nazi germany so um you have to be i think extremely careful especially coming from a person who's uh, he, Jim Caviezel is a, or at least was, a, a basically a Catholic celebrity. He was a, a very faithful Catholic. He was um, in the Passion of the Christ, you know, yeah. this big event. Great movie, I thought. But um, yeah, so it, he has to be extremely careful. But yeah, anyway, this this is it's all part of this larger problem that I think we're seeing some of these pretty grotesque ideas coming up again, entering again, not, not just from, not just within the Catholic world, but sometimes outside and mixing together. This is what I think we need to, to watch. And I think, you know, as we move forward with the show, we're going to do a little roundup every, every week of some of the things that are floating around and see if we can gain some perspective on them so that we can sort of see them from above, see them critically and, uh, and, and maybe hope, and maybe, you know, we can help uh, deter their spread. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this first live episode of uh, The Critical Catholic with David Lafferty. And now I am going to try and see if our farewell music works. Uh, all right. Take care. See you next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.